Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 21. We have reached the start of college football, and that means big league football is right around the corner. We'll talk about that in this week's episode. What does week one have in store for our teams? The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. But first, if you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us, or recommending our show to your friends. We are Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Joe Smith coming to you on Friday, September 1st from the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan. And with the leaves turning soon, our appetite for the NFL grows. This is my broadcast partner and friend, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends, coming to you from a off and on stormy Orlando for the first time um, since I last recorded. Um, I, I think I recorded last Tuesday with the throes of Tropical Storm Herald tickling San, San Antonio. A week later to the day, I would get to live through Hurricane Adalia. Ad- 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 uh, in Florida, as it made landfall here. So not the greatest time to be following me around the country unless you really like living in hurricanes. But um, I'm in Orlando now. I'm a Florida man, and uh, but I'm still Midwest at heart. So shall we get on to the news? Absolutely. We're going to lead off the news today with the Minnesota Vikings so we can finally get away from some of the Jonathan Taylor stuff for 30 seconds. Hawkinson got a new deal for four years, $68 million, 42.5 guaranteed to become the highest paid tight end in the history of professional football. What kind of blows my mind is um, before we break down to the stuff you have on the rundown is when I saw the list that of how much tight ends are getting paid, the Cole commit contract that was signed like a month ago isn't even in like the top 10 and i remember the big big deal they made out of it about paying jimmy graham as like a tight end instead of wide receiver now tight ends still get paid less than a receiver but they are definitely getting up there i will say that so congratulations to hawkinson and congratulations to the lions fans who uh, don't have to pay him all that much money uh, what's your take as a Lions fan on uh the contract signing and the ramifications on both the lions and the Vikings. Oh my. Yeah, there have been a lot of uh Lions fans sending GM Brad Holmes love notes about not having to pay Hawkinson and this being a masterclass for the Lions front office here. The drama of one side, the ego of demanding to be basically the highest paid tight end ever, plus the cap hit, plus the fact that you know the stats say it wasn't that big of a change really to move from him like here's for example i actually pulled the splits hey i will say getting that money definitely cured hawkinson's back and throat if you remember that was a story just a couple weeks ago he was sitting out of practice so congratulations on that quick recovery yeah when he wanted to get paid oh yeah (laughs) but here's the splits for uh golf and cousins with and without hawkinson last year Jared Goff had seven games with Hawkinson. The Lions were two and five, threw for about 2,041 yards, 14 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. So pretty pedestrian numbers there. In the 10 games without Hawkinson, Goff went, the Lions went seven and three for just a, a hair under 2,400 yards, 15 touchdowns, no interceptions. 
zero interceptions in the last 10 games. I was going to say that really stood out because the passing yards and touchdowns per game were similar, but the tight end tight interceptions just fell off a cliff, which matches what uh, Tony was telling me. A friend of the podcast, Tony, was telling me that Hawkinson doesn't necessarily run the right routes all the time, and you kind of see that. They were better off with a blocking tight end Brock Wright in there because – Goff wasn't throwing to a guy who cut off his route and while the ball was in the air. <laughs> but how did how did it work out for the Vikings on the other end? Because it sounded like it was a win by subtraction for the Lions. Um, statistically, if you look at just the raw statistics, it looks like it didn't make a whole lot of difference. Cousins had eight games without Hawk, nine games with Hawk. First, the eight games without, they were they were seven and one with. 2,000 yards, almost exactly. It was 1999. 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. And three of those six interceptions came in one game, the loss. Mm. In the nine games with Hawkinson, Vikings were 6-3, and 2,548 yards, so significant bump in yards per game. 15 touchdowns, eight interceptions. What basically happened here is that Hawkinson ended up taking a lot of the work of Adam Thielen, so they didn't have to pay Adam Thielen in the offseason. They, quote-unquote, saved some money by on Thielen's $10 million contract by paying Hawkinson $17 million. So paying Hawkinson $17 million a year saved them how many how much money? What did, what did Thielen sign with uh, Carolina for? He's on a one-year, $10 million deal from Carolina, so it saved them negative $7 million. Admittedly, they're getting a much younger player who should be just entering his prime, but you really wish he was a better route runner, considering how athletically gifted he is. And then we can throw on the salary of a first-round receiver, uh, Jordan Addison, too. So he he's probably paid seven, six, seven million, which is, you know, 70% of what Thielen was making, so they, they, they saved even less money. Well, average annual value, yes. In the short term, that's going to be a really low number, but for the next year or two. Oh, and don't forget, they also signed Josh Oliver. Was it Josh Oliver? Blocking tight end for $30 million, $27 million. We covered oh, it. Yeah. We, co- we covered it earlier in the offseason because it was one of their two major signings, and I remember ranting about how stupid that was, and we could talk about that later or in fact let's use this as a transition into my my next point so i was listening to the athletic football show um where they were they interviewed i think it was robert mays chicago boy um was represent was interviewing the beat reporters at minnesota camp viking or sorry minnesota camp green bay and chicago and the minnesota one really stood out at me the beat reporter was talking about how the coach and everyone was talking about how Minnesota's big strategy this offseason was to improve the run game efficiency. So, Joe, if you had to do two things to improve the off game, the, your run game efficiency, what would you focus on doing in the offseason? Well, first of all, before I get into that, I would say why? Because the run game is not about efficiency exactly. It's about volume. Passing is about efficiency. Rushing is about quantity. I want to be in a position where I can run the ball a lot. But let's say I want to need to improve the run game. We'll take that. Let's just say 
let's just say we want to be better when we run it, regardless of how much we run it. Yeah, let's let's yeah, let's put it that way. I would say that I mean it's one of those things that a lot of stuff can affect because football is the ultimate team game. But I would be looking at the run game, especially the uh, the line, especially the right tackle and the inside of the line, and of course the running back itself himself. Okay. So I agree with you. That's what I would do. But what they did was they cut their star running back. Okay. Okay. I'm not opposed. They have, I think they have a good stable of running backs, but they also did nothing to address the offensive line. What they did was, and this is their comments was we signed the blocking tight end. They signed a backup tight end to eight, $9 million per year for three years. And we want to use our fullback more. So they paid, um, I think it's Ham, an extent contract extension to the fullback, which we're in a league where they don't really use fullbacks anymore. And when a fullback's on the field, they're telegraphing it. It's 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 a goal line situation where we have two tight ends and a fullback. That's when they use it. Yeah, those are good pieces to improve a run game as secondary pieces. I love fullbacks. I wish more teams used fullbacks. But the bottom line is he that's that's only going to be helpful in a traditional two back set, two wide receivers, one tight end where you're going to bang a specific hole and you use that guy as just a linebacker killer coming out of the gap. That's only one small aspect of uh, a, a running game where most of the time you're running off tackle you're running to the wings you're running straight up the middle you're running whatever you're running out of the draw you're running out of three i, I what i was expecting you to say when you previewed this in mm-hmm. <laughs> uh thing was we're going to improve our passing game and then by for keeping the safeties back we're going to open up holes in the run game which would almost make sense see that would be sane except it, it's except for of... the minor even then there's a diminishing return well, to me, that's what I think is going to happen with the Steelers game is that as Pickett gets better, they're going to see less eight-man fronts that they saw last year. And Najee and Warren will do be, be more efficient because they're running against seven-man fronts instead of eight. But Minnesota already had a killer passing offense. They're not going to push the safeties back any further. And it's just excuse me, funny to me because even when you break down a modern passing offense, if they're going to bring in Oliver and Ham – they're basically telling the other team, we're going to run the ball because you're going to basically have two running backs and two tight ends and maybe one receiver out there in those sets, or you're doing a fullback with Hawkinson or you're doing Hawkinson with Oliver. Like you're not, what's what, how many plays are they going to run both of those guys or if, or either of them, do you know what I mean? And that, that's why it, it, to me, like, and there was more to it. You go back and listen to podcasts, uh, their podcast, the athletic football show, do a great job from the athletic. But to me, it sounded to me like the coaching staff and the GM, they're just, they just don't have a realistic grasp on what their team is or what they're trying to do, in my opinion, because the ways to improve run game efficiency are not what I would do if I was them. This is starting to look more and more like a, t- a team where the analytics are running the football operation instead of the football operation using analytics to inform their decision making. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, if we, if you guys want to go back and listen to our previews of when we did the over-unders on these teams, um, I'm pretty sure Joe convinced me to take the under. The more I learn about Minnesota, I'm just taking the under more and more. And don't get me wrong, they're going to be fun for fantasy values, but I just, I just, um, they just don't seem like they understand what their team is. And that's always a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Now, on the flip side, listen to the beat writers talk about what the Green Bay and Chicago coaching staffs are trying to do. They seem pretty level-headed, insane, and reasonable about their teams being young, in transition. Here's how they're going to use their new young players and develop them and bring them along. They did not seem to have these visions of grandeur in weird convoluted stuff to improve their team. So I, I have uh, been more bullish on green Bay. I think I might, I think I picked them as the under the only under when we had Alex on our show, but I'm coming, I'm coming around on green Bay being more of an eight to 10 win team than I was before. I think uh, I've seen a lot of good things out of their camp, but as insane as I think the Vikings are, it pales in comparison to Jim Ursay this off season. So oh, gosh, yeah. we had to not lead off with it. We don't want to dwell too much, but it turns out the trade demands that they were asking for Jonathan Taylor when they let him seek things was they wanted a, a first round pick and Jalen Waddle from the dolphins. Uh, Green Bay offered AJ Dillon and some picks. And to me, it's just, I don't think they were ever seriously considering trading Jonathan Taylor. I think Ursay just wants to punish him for not being put in his place. And it's just, it is gone. I don't know. I'm, I'm at the point where like, I just feel bad for Colts fans and Jonathan Taylor. I think what happened here was Ursay put out, go ahead, go ahead, go shop yourself out and didn't expect there to be legitimate interest. Yeah. And when he and then when he when it was and and remember a couple of weeks ago, the word got out that they were looking for a first round pick or the McCaffrey a, or the McCaffrey special. Yeah. And well, it sounds like they were getting that. And then what do they do? They move the goalposts because yeah. they re- they really just wanted to force Jonathan Taylor to stay. Irsay is the worst fantasy football owner to trade with in your leagues that you can all relate to. <laughs> no matter how yeah. good this is for both teams, they want more. And that's why I don't think he was ever really going to trade him. Um, Cause like it all started when they had that one-on-one and we didn't mention it back when it happened. We're digging up some of the past. I apologize, but Airsay didn't call Taylor into his office to have a conversation with him after practice. He rolled up to the facility in the team bus in front of the whole team and called Taylor in. And that's what kind of kicked off all of this bad blood. And uh, it's just insanity at this point. Like, and I just, like I said, I just feel bad for Taylor. I feel bad for the fans. I feel bad for the new coaching staff. I think the GM's put in a terrible spot because he can't, his hands are tied at this point. Like he even said, like he even made a comment. I think Ballard, Ballard, you guys can go look that up. I don't have it off the top of my head, but um, just want to move on to more bad, depressing news and move on to the injuries. Or you got any last thoughts on Jonathan Taylor? I, we've talked a ton about Jonathan Taylor over the last month, month and a half. And I mean, it's getting harder and harder to babyface the Colts organization here. It's just Jonathan Taylor is deserves better than he's getting treated, but we're going to move on here. 
preseason week three has happened since we last uh, recorded. We're not really going to talk about it because basically teams treated it like a do nothing scrimmage that is basically a naked money grab to make season ticket holders buy an extra game. So we're going to treat it the same way the coaches did and move right along. So we'll we'll just we're gonna do two segments in the future in a little bit. Uh, we're just gonna talk about some brief injuries for your fantasy drafts uh, update, and then we'll go on to what we learned from this preseason as a whole. So the bolo of injuries that happened to the receivers, which is kind of funny because I know people doing the early underdog drafts, they they lean receiver heavy because they get injured less than running backs. Well, now we got Cooper Whoops. Cup. Exactly. (laughs) Cooper Cup with a hamstring injury. Same with Jerry Judy. Uh, Terry McLaurin with his toe. Jackson Smith and Jingbo with his hand um, amongst the receivers. And what's scary is the Cup, Judy, and McLaurin are all soft tissue injuries that tend to recur over and over again um, in in the season. So even if they play week one or two, they might be hampered and it might come back. Just as a quick aside, if anybody was using our underdog team as a uh, model for with which to uh, do your draft, we apologize. Apparently, oh. we uh, we need to have an EMS company do a sponsorship of our team because <laughs> that or the Undertaker because that that team's resting in peace. Dude, I laugh so hard because on the Twitter sphere, I uh, follow Ian Harditz of uh, Fantasy Life. And he literally posted a tweet saying, somewhere out there, someone drafted Cooper Cup in the first, Jonathan Taylor in the second, Brees Hall in the third, and Jerry Judy in the fourth. And I just responded, well, we had the first three, but does it help that we drafted DJ Chark in the 17th and Tim Patrick in the 18th to make up for it? I mean, we basically have five guys that are going to be missing start to start the season. It's just brutal. Yeah, oh I was just God. picturing hand rays of shame. Oh. Yep, that was me. Oh. oh my god! It looks knock on wood. At least we didn't add Jerry Judy to that, which is funny because both of us really like Jerry Judy. I think you talked him up in your segment, or you were going to. Yeah, but uh, almost took him in my friends and family league, but we drafted after the uh, the injury happened, and I decided to stay away. Nice, lucky, and uh, um, the Jackson Smith and Jigba injury. I take that separate. That's a broken hand hard tissue injuries have a much better set uh, timeline of recovery and they tend to don't read re, uh, they tend not to pop back up over and over again. Re-aggrate. Yeah. I will go on record saying you can't totally predict major injuries from one year to the next, a blown knee, a broken leg. Those things are accidental typically, but when it comes to soft tissue injuries, that's a different story. When it comes to soft tissue injuries, the most reliable prediction for whether somebody is going to have an injury like this is what they've had in the past. I'm thinking RG3 now. Yeah, when somebody starts to get a repeated pile of soft tissue injuries, whether they're hamstrings, groin, you know, especially if it's somewhere like that they're deriving a lot of their power from, that has a very high incidence of re-injury and re-injury again and re-injury again those sorts of things with judy and mclaurin you know that that gets me very nervous as a fantasy owner and you start to worry about the player yeah i agree and then 
in Cooper Cup's case, he's getting older. It tends to take longer to come back from those injuries when, you know, you're over, you're, you're pushing 30 than when you're 25, you know. So Judy's the youngest of them. Hopefully these guys can all have a good career because I really love watching all these guys play football. Oh, they're and all special players. Yeah. That being said, there's plenty of time for players to get injured. If you still have a redraft going on, I would probably fade them because you're going to lose players to injuries throughout the season. Why start with guys that are going to miss the first week of the season, especially when these guys are all being drafted as starters. It's one thing if you can draft them a little later and they're not hampering because your wins in week one count just as much as your wins in week 13, if you're trying to make the playoffs, you know, so but, in a typical league. Now, we're not talking about underdog where you want to emphasize just, the the second half of the league, but the um, tournaments. Yeah. And so like in, in, in the bottom line, we're not saying don't take these guys. Just get them at the right value if you can. But don't Cooper Cup in the first round. If he misses the first six weeks of the season could lose your season right off the bat. That's all. That's what's scary yeah, about you might. Guys. Yeah, you you start. One and five, zero oh and six, two and four, and there's a very good chance your season's over before you hit the midseason. Exactly. So, lessons that we've learned as a whole. So, we'll start with your Detroit Football Lions. I believe uh, yeah. this was your comment. So, lead the I, way. I am still big time bullish on the Lions this year, but if we learned anything in the preseason, it's pump the brakes. Because there are still plenty of places on this team that are not very deep. And there are potentially two fatal flaws. All of a sudden, with camp over, we're starting to hear rumblings that the Lions want to improve their kicker. Like, Riley Patterson is getting ready to get shoved out of town. That's scary. Uh, which, which, I mean, I get. Because Riley Patterson has an extremely limited legs, even by college standards. Mm. Most of the time, a game between good teams is ending on a field goal at the end of time. And if yeah. you're now sitting there at the 35-yard line with a 53-yard field goal and it's fourth and three, the Lions basically have to go for it. Because Riley Patterson cannot reach the goalposts on a 53-yard field goal. Which is so weird because the Lions have always had a kicker, even if that was the only thing they had. There, was <laughs> a, uh, there wasn't there like a couple year period where you guys went through like four bad ones before you got bailed out by Matt Prater getting kicked off the uh, Broncos for being an alcoholic or something like that. There was, was just like yeah. a dark like two year period where you had like yeah. three guys that after Jason after Jason Hansen retired yeah. yeah Hansen to Prater but between it was dark and it's like it's scary especially you're talking to a guy who witnessed the double doink that ended the Bears 2018 run that was a really good team so having kicker issues this late in the off season is scary in my opinion but I just think it's funny too because. Not to step on the who's uh the oh the, the Niners drafted the Michigan kicker in the third round was it Jake Moody, and they already signed another guy to the practice squad because he's got injured and he's been up and down. And what I heard was a interesting about kickers was look at all the best kickers now like Justin Tucker, Harrison Butker, etc. All these reliable guys they all washed out of their first team because they they went through a funk where they missed a couple of field goals, lost their confidence and they got cut from the team and then they regained their mojo and there's 
having that is a huge weapon because so many teams, so many games are decided by one score. So I hope it's not the Achilles heel for your Lions. Well, there's another possible Achilles heel, and that is the wide receiver core. After Amon Ra, God forbid, if something happens to Amon Ra in week two and he has to miss a month, who's the number one for the Lions? Sam Laporta? Like, who is the other guy starting without uh, J-Mo? Is it Josh Reynolds? Is it Khalif Raymond? Uh, Marvin Jones, who's one of the top? I think I sent you the thing on Marvin Jones is like one of the five oldest receivers in the league that made the roster, not starting made a roster. He is the oldest receiver in the league that is expected to get time as a receiver. The only other one is a pure special teams guy. Yeah. They had like a 38 year old guy from like new England or something. That's a very Belichick thing. That's expected to be a pure special teams player, but yeah, Marvin Jones, if something happens to Amon Ra in week one, would be the number one receiver for the Lions for five weeks. And probably longer than that, because I'm not sure that we can count on J-Mo to be anything at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, he's very unproven. So that receiver core that we were very excited about a year ago with St. Brown, you know, St. Brown and J-Mo leading the way and Hawkinson. <laughs> now it's like a rookie. Your rookie, your rookie pass catchers might be your two and three guys. It might be Hawkinson yeah. and Gibbs out of the backfield. Which is like, asking a lot out of those rookies. Yeah, so that that's um, kind of scary. I remember I, I, I kind of knew something was up when you texted me. We we're talking about Austin Watkins balling out in Cleveland. And you're like, hey, if they're going to cut, if he didn't make the roster, Brian should best grab him. He might be starting. Like, right, because we know that a lot of the guys other than basically Reynolds and uh, Jones are pretty much just guys. Yeah. We now I will give the offensive coaching staff a ton of credit. Ben Johnson knows how to get the absolute most out of guys with limited tool sets at wide receiver, but you can't squeeze blood from a stone. Yeah. We know that at this point that Bridgewater is not the be all end all if he goes in. Mm-hmm. We know that the wide receivers are very thin. We don't know what we got at running back right now. We got a great offensive line. We got Jared Goff and we got one of the best offensive coordinators in football. I'm waiting for people to do what they were talking about last week, last year, when they were saying have Pollard play in the slot. Uh, are we going to start hearing the Gibbs's slot with uh, Montgomery as a primary running back kind of talk? It never happens because receiver running backs, if they could be that good of a receiver would just be receivers and get paid twice as much money. But you never know because even like the fifth receiver, but we did see guys like Reynolds and Raymond uh, fairly productive last year in stretches, but uh, well, onto the Packers. I still think, I still think the lions are going to win the division, but I saw a whole lot closer than I thought about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Well, Speaking of the Packers, I mentioned them earlier. Um, the Packers fans are in full, full on in love with love, and um, he honestly might not be bad. Um, and the young weapons are looking really good. But my kind of take was to be temper the expectations and be a little cautious. It was mostly against backups, and a lot of what we saw to Jordan Love was very similar. We saw at Utah State where. He was very erratic. Some of his passes, like we we saw the highlight throws, which were very exciting when they threw to like Jalen Reed and Romeo Dubs and stuff. But 
he would have two or three just off-target passes in between. And, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit of riding a Bears quarterback like the Trubisky train or Rex Grossman or something just without the interceptions. But unfortunately, when those inaccurate passes happen, you only need two or three of them a game to get intercepted. And now suddenly that's a terrible game, despite the good highlights. Um, but we'll see. Um, he did seem to be pretty good. Um, I still think Joe's right. It really comes down to do the nine first round picks they have playing on defense actually play defense this year. Do you have any thoughts on the Packers preseason? No, yeah, they, they had a really, really good camp in which expectations and the preseason also were just ratcheted up. But you also have to remember, like you were saying, so much of those great uh, stats that the that Jordan Love and the offense racked up were against backups or were in such limited time with no tape on him. It, there's a lot of reason for optimism and I am now more sure than ever that the Packers are not going to be bad, mm-hmm. but I don't, it remains to be seen just how good they're going to be. I'm sure there are Packer fans out there who are you know, all in on the floor for Jordan Love's career is Aaron Rodgers and the ceiling is the roof. Yeah. But well, but that's the way fans are. We'll see what happens. But to me, it seems like, the, the fans think their Packers are going to be 11-12 wins because they are fading what Aaron Rodgers did last year. And I think the the people outside of Wisconsin are kind of like, oh, Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer is gone. He won the MVP two years ago. Love is going to suck. Packers are going to be terrible. And I think you and I are in agreement. The Packers are going to be somewhere in that 8-10 to 10 win range, somewhere around 500, right? At least that's what my take is, maybe 8-9 wins. I think they're going to be not terrible, yeah. but I don't think they're going to be great either. And I think they're going to be fun to watch because they have a lot of young pieces on offense that I think will be fun to see if they can capitalize on. And I think that um, going back to fantasy, you're going to get a lot of fantasy value out of that roster, in my opinion, especially with a good offensive line and not done yet running backs. <clears throat> okay. So on to the Vikings. So the fans, it, up in Minnesota seem to be all in on the rebuild on the fly. Hey, running backs don't matter. We got Jordan Addison. We signed TJ Hawkinson to lots of money. Jefferson Jefferson is the best receiver ever. Let's go. We're going to, we, we're 13 wins next year. Last year, we're going to win the Super Bowl this year. They might not be that great. I don't know. Uh, the, the defense still scares me. I think the schematic change might help with uh, Flores, but in my opinion, it usually takes two years for the, a, a full re, um, for a defense to rebuild on the fly when you rebuild the scheme. Cause usually some guys aren't fit for the new scheme and then you got to bring in some guys that are. And um, I do like Flores as a defensive coordinator pickup, but I, I just, you know, we talked about it earlier. I just don't, I think they just seem delusional up there. <laughs> Tell us how you delusional. really think, you know? You know, so sorry, sorry, Vikings fans. Send your hate mail to uh, Midwest, Midwest Football. Football Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Do you uh, have any thoughts on the Vikings before we move on? My thought is just, just, just I, delusional. Look, they've got the best fantasy team on, in the division, but I mean, yeah. The Unless this defense, thanks to Brian Flores, is not just better, but way better than yeah. we think, and their personnel would dictate is this is probably a 500 team even with as good as their passing offense is mm-hmm. i mean the two best as, linemen are playing cleveland this year oh sorry to cut you off 
that's fine. Um, speaking of playing in Cleveland, uh, with them switching to a pass-heavy offense, uh, are they going to lead the league in four and five wide receiver sets with Watson on the field? I mean... I don't see a whole lot of backup running back. Uh, I don't, but they've got a ton of wide receivers that look good. Yeah. And they definitely seem to have made that switch. Cause we saw that in the preseason where they were running a lot of five receiver sets with Watson out there. And like you said, they, they, they let uh, hunt and uh, Dearness Johnson walk and they're just replaced. The backups are unproven. And I can't imagine they're going to run Chubb into the ground without the back proven backups. And I think they want to see their new shiny toy fly this year. I think they want to do everything they can to get to see the Houston Deshaun Watson on the field. And um, the other thing that I think was good to see is the Browns defensive line looks a lot better, which, you know, they did pick up half the Vikings offensive line, Dalvin Tomlinson and Zadarius Smith to go with, you know, a a defensive player of the year candidate every year, Miles Garrett. So I think that's a good sign. And then I saw a stat that was Denzel Ward was the worst defensive back last year for the Browns when it came to playing efficiency. And he is the best talent out there. He had an off year. So if he rebounds to his pro bowl status, that like the Browns defense could be, elite <laughs> including yeah. so if if he's elite if they're elite and watson is elite seth's 15 win prediction might be pretty accurate in my opinion that's pretty yeah so, which which is you know, nutty as we thought that sounded yeah i mean it was legit enough that i went out of my way to find the browns for my fantasy defense because mm-hmm. i think when the when the starting defense played in the preseason, they were stomping everybody. Yeah, they look good. On the flip side, the Bears starting defense looks like it's still a concern, even with Yannick and Dockway signing, because the the one one drive with uh Tennessee with Malik Willis in the starting offensive line, they just drove right down and scored a touchdown. People forget about that because the DJ Moore touchdown and the Khalil, uh, Khalil Herbert touchdown overshadowed that, but defense wasn't good. Uh, Josh Allen annihilated them after struggling against Pittsburgh the week before. And uh, yeah, I'm still concerned. Um, I think the secondary might be gelling. They're young. They've thrown a lot of second rounders at cornerback and safety over the last couple of years. So now it's time to see what they can do. Obviously they've spent a lot of money on linebacker, but the defensive line still looks like a concern. So I would pump the brakes on the bears, super bowl bandwagon just yet. But on the flip side, the DJ Moore hype train is already full speed with no brakes out of the station, and I don't think it needs to stop. I mean, even when the Bears' offense looked bad last week against Buffalo, he still put up a 40-yarder. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I think that is going to be fun to watch because the Bears were one of the worst teams in the league after the catch, and you're going to see a lot more explosive plays out of them this year. What I was hearing out of Chicago, and not just from from you – is uh, Khalil Herbert has absolutely locked down the starting running back job. Like it is a large, large gap between him and anybody else. But what we're starting to see is Roshan Johnson appears to already have at least, if it's not Herbert, the inside track on the third down pass catching kind of role. Mm -hmm. 
And so what I'm kind of wondering as we go along in this season is how much of the of that kind of work is Johnson going to take? Is uh, Herbert going to fade in the second half like Montgomery did last year? Or, well, we'll see what happens. At the very least, maybe they just have two really good running backs. So this is interesting because this reminds me of the Bears two years ago when um, Montgomery was the starter set in stone. And they signed Damian Williams in the offseason, but then they drafted Khalil Herbert, and Herbert immediately vanquished Williams for the backup role. And I think you're seeing that with Roshan versus Foreman. There was rumors that Deontay Foreman was a cut candidate, which was seemed extreme because he's been a pretty good running back. But to your point about Herbert having a starting job, he's been a great special teamer the last two years of his career. He doesn't play with the special teamers anymore. In fact, Deontay Foreman is running with the special teamers, and he's never played special team before. So he might have kept his job by converting to a special team, or he might already be the third string guy. Now, Based on the way the Bears have used their running backs the last two years, Herbert vastly outperformed Montgomery for the last two years, but Montgomery kept his job. It reminded me very much of a light version of uh, Zeke and Pollard the last couple of years in Dallas. So I think Herbert neither would have to get hurt or or take massive strides backwards to give uh, Roshan Johnson the starter role or give him a lot of extra work. But I think that the bears we've seen under Eberflus is they basically run two drives with the starter, one drive with the backup, two drives with the starter, one drive with the backup. That's kind of how they rotated Montgomery and Herbert last year. That's the way they've been rotating him in the preseason. And it looks like that's going to change or won't change. The question is, will it be Foreman or Roshan as the, as the, uh, the guy that's running one third of the snaps. So we'll see from a fantasy perspective. That's the main thing. Um, I think as a bears perspective, they got three good running backs or at least two really good young ones. And I think that's going to look out, work out pretty well for them. Um, if the Bengals were a, if we were grading the off season for the Bengals, this camp and preseason, we'd have to give them an incomplete where they basically didn't play any starters at any point of the entire preseason. So we really can't say what we learned. What we learned is they, the starters appear to mostly be healthy. Yeah. They kept Good them for a bubble them. wrap. They kept them a bubble wrap. Um, Burrow's back in practice. So should be ready for week one. I got nothing else to add. You want to move on to Pittsburgh? You got it. Go right ahead. All right. Pittsburgh uh, starting offenses had five drives and scored five touchdowns. The uh, picket and the offense Looks sharp. Pickett, it's it's really not just that they put up good stats. It's that Pickett looks decisive and comfortable in the pocket. The offensive line looks improved. And we already knew the weapons were pretty good around him. And I think that's a good start. And the defense stifled the Bills starters. And I think Pittsburgh could really be a legit dark horse contender. This looks like a completely different offense from the dink and dunk ball control that we saw last year out of Pickett. This looks like I, I'm still not ready to say that Pickett is as good as the other quarterbacks in his division or even necessarily close, but he looked like an NFL quarterback in the preseason. Again, be careful because this is the preseason, with, so he's playing against a number of uh, backups. But so, a lot of these drives were the first drive of the game, second drive of the game were not against starters. backups. Yeah. And to your point, his yards per attempt were much higher. I think he was throwing them 10 yards down the field on average versus six when he played last year. So um, we've already, we're seeing, we're, what we're seeing, what you're saying, we bears out in stats. So, and the defense looks good. The big question is, is TJ Watt always injured or not? So hopefully he can stay healthy. 
Um, Absolutely. On, on to the Colts again. In my opinion, they are a must watch. I think I'm going to be getting my NFL Sunday ticket and they will be on one of my four screens all the time because uh, I the box score for Anthony Richardson versus the stories that I hear told about him from people who watch him <laughs> tell completely different tales. I was listening to around the network or around the NFL podcast with uh, Greg Rosenthal saying he's he watched Anthony Richardson play and he looked like the best quarterback he'd ever seen. And then his box score was like seven for six for 17. And that was, I think this box score I sent you where I was like, you, you got to actually complete more than 20, 30% of your passes. If you're going to be an NFL quarterback. And I watched a lot of like bad throws into the dirt at the, at his receivers feet and stuff. And um, it, it's going to be wild. I mean, he, he, he is not going to be for the faint of heart it is going to be the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And, you got him in fantasy you be you be clinging to that rushing upside because there are going to be weeks where you're just going to have to see him drop nothing for you and you're going to lose the week because of it but he might win you the next two so you're going to have to be steadfast when you're supporting anthony richardson and uh (laughs) yeah yeah. you got any thoughts on the colts yeah from a fantasy perspective richardson's going to be a random number generator yeah um we got a, a note from Raymond, who does our intros, and thank you very much for for doing that. Friend of the podcast about Anthony Richardson doing the uh, not wanting to throw him in right away. So not only, of course, is Richardson going to start Week One, but he doesn't have a running back either. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to ruin a rookie. I mean, it's neck and neck with Arizona for me on the the Colts and the Cardinals so looking for. Too. The first overall pick. Well, the Cardinals, I could. They think they might get one and two because they've got Houston's first rounder this year. If you remember, I think they're actively trying to <laughs> showcase yeah. their young people. I think the, yeah, God, yeah. That but and, but we without getting too far off the track here, talking getting back about the Colts. Yeah, um, this is going to be a bumpy ride. The Colts fans are smart enough to remember that not even Peyton Manning was good his first year, and. Richardson is way more raw than Peyton Manning was in high school. So this is probably going to be, especially without any sort of running back that anybody's going to fear. This is going to be a pretty rough season for the Colts. Yeah. And I, I, you know, just go back to the must watch because like, when I listen to smart people who follow the NFL that I respect, they, they say really good things about him. But then I talk to my friends who are Florida alumni that watched him play in college and they don't think he's a quarterback. So it'll be very interesting to see if Shane Steichen can bring him along and develop him without ruining him as a rookie. Cause they are not doing him money favors. Uh, it reminds me a lot of how the bears did not do any favors to Justin Fields last year. So good luck, Anthony. I'm going to look forward to watching your games. Um, even if it's just hate watching <laughs> the uh, they'll be excited. Yeah, but, but what ended up turning out really nice is it looked like they weren't doing uh, fields any favors at the time, the bears, and mm-hmm. they weren't, they threw them out there, but they also were able to acquire a lot of players that have a longer road of development. So they didn't get guys that helped them right away, but they got guys that fit their intended window. Mm, I'm yeah. not sure. Well, it remains to be seen if we will see the same kind of strategy come with the Colts. I'm not sure because this seems like an Ursay audible in the middle of this offseason post draft. 
where that's the kind of decisions that they would have been making during the draft, which is much more concerning. Once again, the specter of Jim Irsay just haunts this team. Yep. But transitioning from the preseason, we're going to look at what we anticipate the most out of our lineup of games here in week one. We're going to call this segment one more thing because we're going to look at each of these games and you tell me just that one more thing that you're looking for in each of these games. All right. Um, We've got the Lions and the Chiefs. What one more thing are you looking for to find out from this game? Hey, this is on Thursday night. It is the standalone season opener. What I'm looking forward to seeing is if the Lions have a second receiver and a pass rush and if they can keep up with the Chiefs. I don't think they need to beat the Chiefs, but I think if they can keep it close, I think that'll be both really well for the season for the Lions. The one more thing I'm looking for for the Lions in this game is exactly what you just said, as, as what second receiver pops up. Because Andy Reid is too good a coach to let Amon Ross St. Brown single-handedly beat them. So we will see what happens. If the Lions can keep this close and keep running the football, the Chiefs are one of those play-from-ahead kind of defenses, and the Lions have a chance. If the Chiefs get up two touchdowns and it becomes the Amon Ross show, the Lions are in trouble. For the benefit of all of our listeners, uh, we don't pick against the spread. We're picking winners straight up. Uh, picking the NFL is difficult enough without the spread. And there are a lot of really good gambling podcasts. That we are not a gambling podcast, so we're going to do what we do best, and that's the analysis, the fantasy, and the NFL just sort of breaking it down. So in order to sort of clear the deck, we're just going to pick these games straight up. I do think... The Chiefs are still going to win this game overall, but the Lions will either the Lions are going to keep this very close and this will be a very scary game or the Chiefs are going to blow them out. But I think it's going to be close. I think it is going to be a fantasy friendly shootout with the Chiefs win and celebrate their Super Bowl as typical happens. But I think it'll be a win for both franchises on to the one o'clock p.m. Sunday slate. Um First one we got is we got a doubleheader, a Midwest football podcast doubleheader. We got the Bengals versus the Browns. What are you what what are you looking for? For the Bengals, I'm looking to see if the rust of not playing anybody in the preseason actually ends up affecting the Bengals at all. I want to see if they if they come out sharp and they look really good against the Browns and they're executing, we may see the preseason continue to not matter even less. For the Browns, I want I'm looking for the decision making of Watson. If what he was showing in limited time in the preseason translates to against a real defense with the Bengals and he's making all the reads and he's firing the ball all over the place, then yeah, this Browns team might be special. And this is going to be our first clue for it. Yep. I'm all about Watson. So mine was going to be taking the Browns because I think the Bengals are going to start slow because they are a team that doesn't play their starters, and we've seen them start so the last couple of years, even under the Burroughs, Zach Taylor era. So, and if you're a Bengals fan, if they do start slow, it's not cause for panic. We've seen it before. I'm still looking at the Bengals here as the likely winner because of uh, the Joe Burrow, the passing attack. It all, all comes down to, though, just how well Watson puts the pressure on the Bengals with that offense. The Colts and the Jaguars are next on the slate. The Colts are about to put Richardson into game action, and that is exactly what I am watching here with my one more thing. 
the Colts and the Jaguars were the teams that we thought in the beginning of this offseason had the best chance to win the division. The Colts have since faded badly, and it's hard to I, – I'm not a big Jaguars fan, but I don't see anybody in this division that's going to catch them. So this is a tough opener for the Colts, and I think the Jaguars are going to take it. Um, I still had the Titans up there, especially with the addition of Hopkins, and they were tied down the stretch last year. But um, my my one more thing is I can't wait to ride the Richardson roller coaster, the Anthony Roller Richard coaster. I don't know how to. I'm going to try to. Figure, I'm going to work that out. But I'm looking forward to watching him play because <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch the highs and lows and not be uh, invested emotionally in it. I can just watch it as a third party person. I got the Jaguars winning i think they're they're pretty good they have division champs i mean they're barely about 500 but i think they're still ahead of the colts and i think they've gotten better and the colts have gotten worse in the offseason the vikings get the tampa bay buccaneers in week one we're still at the one o'clock games here this one is probably not going to get a whole lot of tv time outside of florida in the midwest so what do you think about the vikings and the bucks I'm looking to see if the Vikings pass rush can get to Baker Mayfield and create some turnovers because Mayfield is the type of guy who will throw the YOLO balls. And if they can't get him to turn the ball over, it might be scary, even in a win. And I'm picking them to win. The Vikings win, that is. Yeah, the Vikings get a night about the softest possible start to a schedule that they can reasonably expect. So expectations get to remain high in Minnesota for at least a couple weeks. Yeah, I'm looking at the Minnesota run game here and see just how they use all of the running backs in their roster and what kind of a drop-off, if any, we're going to notice from Dalvin Cook. We already know that the Vikings, they want to lead the league in passing, so this is probably not going to be a high-volume rushing attack, even if they've got a nice lead on the Bucks. So we're going to get the chance. we got to kind of look in with uh, the the number of runs that we get. I still think the Vikings are going to win pretty handily, though. Let's see if that fullback backup tight end combo increases their run game efficiency like they want it to. So on to the Niners Steelers. This is actually a really good one because the Niners, you know, coming off the final four Steelers, who I think is going to be a really good darling. I'm looking to see how Pickett handles the pass rush of possibly 12 deep line coming at him um, and putting real pressure on him in, in when the regular season starts because he looked good again preseason, but once the liners get out there, uh, they had uh, Hargrave added to Nick Bosa, et cetera. That, that, that's going to be a scary defensive front. And if Pickett can handle that, the Steelers might be to the moon. Well, if Nick Bosa plays is a big question. He's still holding out, last I heard. Uh, And if he doesn't play, then that really opens up a nice opportunity for the Steelers to to get a very, very nice win that a lot of people would not have picked even as recently as two months ago. Yeah. Uh, I do feel like you've got a a really good point here. Really, the 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 team that we have the most variables with is the 49ers. But I like the Cleveland uh, Browns. I'm looking to see the wide receiver usage. Who is actually getting the targets and under what circumstances here? That's um, that's what I'm most interested in because I really do think this is going to be a much improved offense. That being said, with the care with the uh, San Francisco defense coming in, we may not necessarily get the clearest picture. I think San Francisco wins this uh, most likely. 
and but the Steelers are going to have a lot of uh, opportunities to get some nice wins in this season if this preseason is any indication. So along with my Browns upset, I'm going to go with a Steelers upset because I think the Brock Purdy arm situation might not be quite there. And the Bosa thing, if he's out, that could be another thing. Um, and plus, I just like the way the Steelers offense and defense have been playing. And I think they're ready to go. Um, I think they have reps in the offseason, in the preseason, and they'll be less rusty. So on to our final game, Sunday afternoon, Bears and Packers. What another doubleheader. Yep. Uh, with on the Bears side, I'm looking for their what kind of passing volume they're going to have. We know they're going to be run focused. Last time they were the most run focused offense in modern NFL history. You hope as a field supporter that they're not going to try and do the Tim Tebow effect where they're going to run the ball 50 times a game and pass it 10. I don't think it's going to be that extreme, but I am going to see if we get closer to 50 50 is it 60 40 pass is it 40 60 run and that's going to tell us a lot about not just what we can expect from the bears offense this year but also how they feel about justin fields coming out of camp and i think you did a good job covering the bears offense i want to see what the bears defensive line and secondary can do can they get any pressure outside of in Uh, because that's going to be the big key because it's one thing to have a pass rusher you can scheme that out but you really need to have two if you want to put pressure on quarterbacks and at at a at a high rate and be successful in today's nfl um as for the packers um i'm going to stick with the defensive side um i might be stealing your point because you've been on the defense but you've got me intrigued can joe barry who i think you as you point out put it should be on the hot seat can he turn all that high draft capital into actual productive defense for me the packers the most intriguing and exciting part of the packers offseason has been their young wide receivers and that's who i want to see i want to see especially how much does Jaden reed play how how often does we look to christian watson and is he exclusively a downfield threat or are they going to use him as a complete receiver the top three wide receivers fascinate me for the packers and if they've got all those weapons plus the running backs plus an offensive line that's at least average. This should be a fun offense to watch up in Green Bay. And I want to add, too, these guys are so disrespected that I was just in a couple of drafts after ours. Watson was the only receiver even drafted in redraft leagues. Dubs, not even on a team. And I think he's better than that. And I'm curious how that will go. Um my pick, I'm going to have to go with the Bears. Changing the guards, let's go. Fields will be the new Hall of Famer to take over this rivalry. This is wishful thinking, but yeah. go Bears. This is tough because the Bears have really improved a lot. I I want to pick the Bears, but I think I'm still going to pick the Packers based on just past history, and we've already seen both of these teams increase our expectations. So it just kind of defaults back. I had the Packers ahead of the Bears at the beginning of the offseason, both are probably better than I thought, but I'm still going to end up with the Packers over the Bears until I see otherwise. I mean, this is my most exciting game because they are two young teams that we really don't know what to expect from. Both could fall on their face. Both could take a step forward One and one could do the other, you know? What are you looking for is that one more thing on this week's NFL action. Let us know with Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. That was Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. 
But that's all the time we have for today's episode of the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 21, Blackjack. So thank you again for our introductory uh, and closing themes. Raymond, thank you to Chris Brandley for all of our logos. And most especially, thank you to all of our listeners for spending your time with us this week and letting us preview you and get you all ready for the first week of NFL action coming right up, starting with my dear lions and chiefs. But until we get to the next week, uh, if you enjoyed our show, help us grow it by leaving a five-star review, recommending us to your friends. But until next time, we're taking it into the locker room for the fifth quarter. We will see you later. Have a happy Labor Day, and I miss you already.